the New Testament in its world, with Mike Bird. But we know there were sources. We know there were sources because in Luke's prologue, he tells us. He tells us about all the people he's consulted and interviewed. And he says, you know, others have laid out an account before me. Welcome to the New Testament in its world, a super series based on the brilliant book by the same name. My name's Mark Hadley, and I'll be leading us through the brain of one of the authors, Dr. Michael Bird, lecturer in theology at Australia's Ridley College. Along with Tom Wright, Mike has written the New Testament in its world. He's also authored about 30 books in the fields of the Septuagint, historical Jesus, the Gospels, and many, many other areas of Bible knowledge. But first, before we start talking about where did the Gospels come from, where did your favourite afternoon tea come from, Mike? Well, I do like a bit of Irish breakfast, so it's pretty good. It's got a nice bit of a zest and maybe even a slight suggestion of whiskey. Um, I don't know what they put into um, the Irish tea. But yeah, I, I do like my Irish tea in a bit of an afternoon. Kind of go English in the in the morning, maybe a bit of Irish in the afternoon. If I could find a Welsh and a Scottish one, I'd probably do them in early evening. Let me drag you kicking and screaming into the great afternoon tea debate that is Earl Grey. Uh, do you actually think it qualifies as a tea or is it some form of liquid perfume? No, I, look, this is my theory on Earl Grey. I think Earl Grey is made up of mashed up old ladies. So <laughs> whenever whenever some poor um, old lady goes missing from one of the nursing homes, I swear the Earl Grey people have got her and they've kind of, you know, been draining fluids from her body and that's how they make earl grey tea that's the only way i can explain that horrible metallic -y, yucky taste that's my that's my theory i can't prove it but that's why i don't drink earl grey it's an ethical thing because i'm worried about all those old ladies who have been tortured so they can make it it would certainly explain that hint of lavender. Okay, so let's move on to our topic for today. Where did the Gospels come from? And let's begin by asking, maybe we should explain what is a Gospel? Did you read any good Gospels lately? Oh, I've read some good Gospels. I'm a big fan of the Gospel of Mark. It's my favourite Gospel. It's it's short, it's, it's dramatic, it's got this amazing... Um, middle episode where, you know, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah and you know, the passion narrative, it's great. Um, a, a gospel, uh, we should talk about genre first. I think genre is very important. Uh, a gospel is what I would call a, a ancient biography. So it's kind of like a Greco-Roman biography, but but with some with some pike half twists. It's first of all connected to the story of Israel. So it's, it's almost like an extension of the scriptural story. And it also seems to be based on the early church's um, traditions, the stories from Jesus and the stories about Jesus and the proclamation of Jesus, which why it gets the word gospel. So it's it's kind of like this, you know, a three or four way interface between a Greco-Roman literary form called like a, a, a bios or a vita, that's a biography, uh, linked also to Israel's scriptures as the kind of background. That's why it's peppered with quotations and allusions to the Old Testament, but it's also based on traditions of Jesus. Uh, it's kind of stories about Jesus that, that was circulating the early church and also the church's very proclamation of Jesus because when they proclaimed the gospel, they didn't just you know start with, you know, God is holy and man is sinful. They would actually include the story of Jesus. Telling the story of Jesus was indeed uh, part of the gospel in the early church. 
So the shorthand that most people offer, though, is that it's if they're trying to relate it to today, is it's a biography. But you're saying it fall it, it falls out of that category in a number of different directions. Well, I would say it's within it. the The ancient biography is a diverse and somewhat flexible genre. Okay, so I, I definitely think the Gospels are types of biographies. Um, but with certain, if you like, augmentations or distinctives or particular characteristics, such as, you know, being connected to the scriptural story, traditions of Jesus and part of the church's proclamation. Okay, so let's start talking about your favorite gospel, the gospel of Mark. Now, many people seem to be aware that Mark's gospel is the earliest of the Bible's four gospels, but is it the earliest Christian gospel? Oh, well, well, I think it is. I think uh, Mark's gospel was the first gospel to be written. And m scholars suspect, I mean, they can't really prove this, but they suspect that Mark's gospel was probably written either just before or just after 70 AD when the Romans were laying siege to Jerusalem and the Jerusalem temple uh, had been destroyed. This is, this is a kind of cataclysmic event, and it's called forth um, for, for various sorts of responses. And, and Mark's also writing at a time when I think the first generation of Christians are passing away, and he, he, he almost creates this new literary form, okay, as a way of taking the, the memory and the teaching, or the memory of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles and putting it in this uh, literary form uh, that we call a gospel as, as a way of preserving in, in, in literature uh, the teaching of the apostles or that earliest generation about uh, Jesus, his life, teaching, his death and resurrection. Well, that's a kind of a potted biography of Mark's gospel. How did John, Luke, Matthew, how did they come about as opposed to how Mark came about? Well, I think they have generally seen what, what Mark has done, and they've used Mark as a bit of a template. I mean, the scholars think that these four Gospels were not written independently. There may have been some borrowing from one and another. Mark is generally first, and we're fairly sure that Luke and Matthew have both used Mark as a kind of template. Uh, after that, it gets a little bit more controversial. Did Luke and Matthew also have another source? because there's a lot of agreements between Matthew and Luke or some similar material. Uh, that's called the double tradition. Now, did they get that from a, another source that we call Q for, you know, Quella for source? Or did um, Luke also use Matthew in addition to Mark? I mean, this is some of the riddles that people wrestle with. And and John sort of, again, he's got, a, he's got like a similar genre and a similar outline to Mark, but he has on the whole a fairly independent tradition. So does John know Mark or has he heard of Mark or is it completely separate? I mean, these are the things we d d debate about. But after Mark has been written, um, Matthew and Luke have certainly composed their own gospel, I think, in the 70s and 80s. Um, I, I don't think it's, it's not designed as a refutation of Mark, but maybe a type of imitation. Uh, or maybe they're trying to do what Mark did, but maybe do it better. Or, you know, they, there's other things they want to stress as well. There's you know, different aspects of Jesus's career, life and ministry that they want to accent and bring out. In the case of Matthew's gospel, um, I, I think he, he's writing in a period where the church is struggling with its Jewish heritage, but it's becoming very quickly, in, in some senses, a Gentile religion. And he, he kind of wants to hold together both the old and the new. So Matthew lays out that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the, 
the, the, the brother is Jewish. There's no doubt about it. He is of, from, and for Israel. He is the Jewish Messiah, the son of David. But there's also this big place, this big expectation that a number of Gentiles are coming to faith. And you see that at various um, various moments, you know, when uh, the centurion who comes to faith is, is perhaps a prefigurement of the later Gentile mission, um, and certainly then the Great Commission at the end, you know, going to all nations and and, and proclaiming Jesus and baptizing people, that type of thing. Uh, Luke's sim, I think he's also used Mark's outline, uh, and he's emphasizing the prophetic aspect of Jesus's career, particularly with his concern for the outcasts, the poor women, and that type of thing. And, and that's even then utilized as part of his two-volume project to also include the Acts of the Apostles. And in uh, John's case, uh, I think he's telling the story of Jesus, but he wants to add a particular spiritual depth and John is offering very much what I would call kind of like a, a documentary drama. He's, he's interested not just what who Jesus was, but who Jesus is and continues to be for us now. Actually, I've been reading through the New Testament in its world, and I've been studying some of the charts that you provide that actually help kind of understand how some of these books came together. And there are so many mystery documents involved. Maybe you could explain to me just for a second, you've mentioned Q. What are some of these other mystery documents that get referred to? Yes, yes. There's there's a number of um, hypothetical documents that get postulated to explain the sources underneath the Gospels. Now, let me let me say... Scholars are fairly confident that Mark was first and that Luke and Matthew have used Mark. After that, I would say it's a bit more tentative. So don't take what I'm saying next as as gospel per se. That's a little bit more tentative at that point. But we think that Matthew um, has has used some special material that's unique to him, and we call that the M source because it's you know unique to Matthew. Luke has got some unique material. And because it's from Luke, we call that the L source, uh, if you like. And when it comes to material that's you that's shared between Luke and Matthew, that's where the real conundrum is. I mean, uh, that could be another source. Like I've said, we, we call it Q, um, and people speculate about a Q document or even a Q community and all sorts of things. I, I'm a little bit skeptical on that myself. Um or it could be that Matthew has a very big M source and then Luke has used Mark and Matthew. That's that's one way of, of explaining it and holding it all together. But it is a little bit speculative and some scholars uh, do have a propensity to uh, make very much out of very little and they can sometimes build these you know, amazing castles in the air, particularly when it comes to scholarship of Q, uh, this hypothetical document. And people have produced a critical edition of Q as if it's like a, an ancient um, text and they've talked about different layers within Q and a Q community and it, it is it can be a little bit extrava extravagant I mean where do, where, where do you what's the line between inference and mere fantasy in some um, in some scholarly estimations uh, that's that's one of the debates but we know there were sources we know there were sources because in Luke's prologue he tells us he tells us about all the people he's consulted and interviewed. And he says, you know, others have laid out an account before me, uh, but he wanted to give his own rendition or his own version of the story. So we know there definitely were sources, which are probably um, people and maybe some earlier attempts to write the story. 
Uh, Luke tells us that. So there's there's nothing wrong with postulating these sources, but but uh, but scholars who 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 love who you know the type of people who love jigsaw puzzles, um, <laughs> you know, love treating love treating the gospels as jigsaw puzzles. And then when it comes to a jigsaw puzzle, like normally you do the corners first. Like if you, if you had a jigsaw puzzle and you're trying to figure out how it got made. I mean, you could have a guess that, well, they probably made the corners first, they did that, and then maybe they found the more colourful bits. But after that, you don't really know. You don't really know. Uh, and it's a bit that way with the Gospels. We've got some really good suggestions, a few tips and hints from Luke himself. But at the end of the day, we don't know with 100% um, certainty in what order uh, the Gospels were written and precisely who borrowed from whom. It, it, it's probably a very complex picture that is not, not truly available to us now. At the end of the day, we simply do not know for certain how the Synoptic Gospels were put together. A literary relationship between the Synoptics seems clear. Mark and priority is still probably the best bet. Luke tells us he has used sources. If we suppose that Mark was one of those sources, all sorts of things make sense. But after that, it gets murky. Things might be far more complicated than we can ever know. Oral tradition was a lively but untrackable factor. People did not stop telling stories about Jesus, and there were plenty of people around with their own memories, their own favourite versions of this or that incident or saying. As for written documents themselves, it is quite possible that one or more of the evangelists produced two or more editions of their books. We can see from later manuscripts that scribes copying one gospel would sometimes allow well-known phrases from a different one to creep in. What is more, it is highly likely that there were other Jesus traditions and texts that some early Christians knew. Well, Mike, you teach theology for a living. Uh, Would you be happier if you had a full text of Q rather than one of the the Gospels now? Would you be happier if you had uh, M uh, written out for you neatly, or do you feel like you have enough? Oh, well, well, on the one hand, um, uh, I'm content with the sources that we have at hand. I mean, there's, there's an awful lot of them to study about early Christianity. We've got the various manuscripts of the New Testament, such as, you know, this, this is a papyri I'm listing, like P, P52, P46, P47. Uh, You've got all these sort of wonderful things around you can discuss, discover and, 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 and talk about. Uh, there, there are some lost documents I would love to find, um, writings um, that we hear about, but we don't have access to. Now, now, if, now Q is a hypothetical document, so if someone is digging through... Um, a church in Colossae one day or in Ephesus or in Rome and they found this document in Greek which is a list of sayings in Jesus um, that corresponds roughly to Luke and Matthew that would be groundbreaking that would be <laughs> that would be incredible uh, there are some plans to, to dig up um, Colossae in a, in, a, in a few years uh, if they find the letter to the Laodiceans that Paul speaks of that will be terrific as well one of the early church fathers in the in the generation after the apostles, they were called Papias. He wrote a little book called The Oracles of the Lord. And it's like, oh, my gosh, if we could find that somewhere, that would be awesome <laughs> as well. So, um, yeah, some New, New Testament scholars, they've got like a little bit of a, an Indiana Jones archaeologist, like let's go hunt for the hidden artifacts. There would be some really good, cool things that I, I, I wish we could dig up and find. Uh, but I, I, I don't know whether we're going to find them anytime soon. 
Speaking of really cool things that sort of sit alone in their own sort of category, I'm thinking of the Gospel of John. Anyone who reads through the four Gospels knows when you leave Luke and start off reading John that you're reading something really quite different. Why is that? What makes John stand apart? Well, John John has a different texture. Now, like, yeah. You could argue that all the evangelists, at one level, are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to tell the story of Jesus in a way that is, I think, true and accurate, but is also persuasive and resonates with the, with, with the people of their day. Okay, so they're doing that. Uh, John is doing the same thing, but John is a little bit of a maverick. He, he's, he's not just doing a rehash of Mark, okay, with a few you know augmentations. He, he, he does take a slightly different um a, a different way of doing that and that's why i mean he starts with this amazing prologue which which seems to be a bit of almost like theological poetry and and he, and he kicks off straight away with with an allusion to genesis like you know the book of genesis in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth well john kicks off with some similar words says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. So John basically starts off as saying, look, this is basically a new Genesis. This is a new creation story. But this time I'm going to show you that Jesus, the word is at the center of it. So that's how he kicks off his story. And he also has uh, some other unique aspects. He has these amazing series of encounters between Jesus and other people. We see that in the encounter with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who's kind of the professor of, of Hebrew at Jerusalem University, and Jesus has to kind of learn him up on the kingdom of God and new birth. He meets the Samaritan woman, okay, uh, who's, who's, who's a figure on the margins of society, and yet she seems to get more about him than a, than a whole cohort of religious leaders can. You've got these healing miracles that happen on the Sabbath, which raise the question of Jesus's authority. Does he have the authority to, to do things on the Sabbath? Is, is, is God still active then and, and his authority to do that? And Jesus's connection to the festivals and that type of thing. And the whole time you find John saying the mystery of Jesus is both being disclosed to the disciples and unveiled for the readers, where we see that this Jesus, he is certainly the Messiah. He's certainly the prophet, but he is also the word of God made flesh. And John, John does that because he wants to not just tell the story of Jesus like Mark, but he wants us to think this is a new Genesis. This is a new Exodus. This is Pentecost that we're talking about here. Wow. Okay, mate. Well, if there is one thing you wanted people to take away about the Gospels, particularly leading from your book, The New Testament in Its World, what would it be? I think the Gospels are the most important books in all of Christian literature. Now, I know I'm not supposed to have favorites within the biblical canon, you know, because, you know, Genesis is just as good as as uh, Romans and Hebrews and Philemon and all that. But I, I really think that the Gospels are important because they bring us closer to Jesus. OK, and they tell us the story of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, um, uh, the, the events of Easter and his his resurrection. And, you know, in the early church, the Gospels were the most popular books. I mean, uh, there's more copies or more manuscripts of Matthew than there are of any other um, uh, Christian text. 
Uh, there's more quotes from Jesus, more quotes from the Gospels than from any other figure uh, in, in, in the New Testament. So the early church were very Jesus focused and they were very gospel focused. So I, I think you know, we really need to have a, a, a big view and a big emphasis on the gospels. In fact, one of the early reformers, uh, Zwingli, um, he preached from the gospels every Sunday and he'd teach from the epistles and the Old Testament during the week at like Bible studies. But every Sunday was, was was a gospel sermon. Now, I'm not saying we need to go back to that. That's, that's a little bit of extreme. I mean, you want a good diet of biblical preaching through the, through, through the entire canon. But there's something very prominent and very important about the gospels. And that's why I think it's you know paramount that Christians really do read them, meditate on them, reflect on them and studying, because this is where you're reading uh, not just stories about a figure of antiquity, you are reading the gospel of the Lord. Well, thanks very much for what you've told us today about the Gospels and particularly where they sit inside of the rest of the Scriptures. That's actually been the fourth episode of our super series, The New Testament in Its World. The fifth episode next week, what are the Catholic letters about? And that'll be interesting to follow around, particularly if you're surprised as I am that there were in fact Catholic letters in the Bible. So we'll find that out next time with Mike Bird. Mike, thanks for your time. And if you'd like some extra information about the Gospels based on the New Testament in its world. You'll find that in the show notes for this week. See you next episode. You've been listening to the Eternity Podcast Network. EternityPodcasts.com.au